0: Hi, I'm Teresa, owner of T3Fit, and you're listening to the T3Fit podcast, where scoliosis warriors and professionals come together. Here we talk about our scoliosis journeys and the emotional components it takes on from being a parent to being diagnosed with scoliosis and sometimes leading to surgery. It's a place where professionals share their expertise of treatments, from physical therapy to surgery, and so much more. So let's get started. Hey, everybody, welcome to the T3 Fit Scoliosis podcast. On today's show, we have Whitney Little on Instagram. She is known as Champ. 9584. Whitney, I'd like to welcome you to the show.
1: Thank you, Teresa. I'm so happy to be here. Can
0: you tell us a little bit about the time when your journey with scoliosis started, how old you were, your degrees, and what it was like for you growing up being diagnosed and what happened along the way?
1: Sure. So I'll just preface by saying that it's a long story it spans from the age of 13 all the way to 36. Okay. um, With fairly consistent surgeries throughout that entire time. So there's a lot and it's a very painful journey. It's a very traumatic journey, um, very emotional, but it's also been a journey about discovering myself and realizing what I'm capable of in terms of how strong I am and how resilient we all are. All of us with scoliosis have to be so resilient because we're not facing an elective surgery. We're facing a surgery that we have to have. In my case, my rib cage was closing in around my heart and my vital organs. So if that had been left to just develop and continue, if my spine were left to continue moving as it was in a three-dimensional way, You know, I probably wouldn't have lived given how severe my scoliosis continued to get even after I had had a fusion. What was it
0: like when you were first diagnosed? How did you find out? How did your parents find out?
1: So I was playing lacrosse in seventh grade and I had a lot of back pain that day. So I went to the school trainer and she was just checking out my back and she asked me to do the typical touch your toes. And the next day I was in a brace. Um, and I had no idea that that was the beginning of a several decade long journey. There was um, there was no information. Orthopedic no, no information. Um, You know, we needed an orthopedic surgeon, but my mother, who has been my my support, my rock, my help, my second set of ears and eyes, didn't understand at that time that we really needed a scoliosis specialist. A okay find a surgeon that does primarily scoliosis procedures.
0: How long ago was this?
1: Um, this was when I was 13 and I'm 36 now, so it's been 20 years. Okay. So 1991. Okay. I'm doing the math right. Um, and that was a long time ago in terms of scoliosis and where we are now with hardware, surgical technique, a philosophy on how to treat. Um, the brace was awful. I was told you know this was back when they actually rolled you in a cat and casting material on a table and let it dry and then they saw the cast off of you and then several days later or weeks later you would actually pick it up. you know I had a brace made recently and they did some sort of digital scan and the brace mm-hmm. was just automatically made. so it, it's come a long way yeah. so long way to go but it's been a long journey. Anyway, I hated the brace a lot like what you've talked about with your brace it was, plexiglass, and I don't care how much padding you try to put in plexiglass, you know, it's going to suck. Um, you know, they eventually put in some holes for ventilation, but it was hot. Um, no matter what kind of special garment you could put under it, it was sticky. There were, there was a huge pad in the back to try to push in my lower curve, mm-hmm. that rubbed on my skin. I, ha- I still have scars from those welts. How long
0: did you have to wear the brace for?
1: Um, it was supposed to be nine to twelve months, but okay. basically, I remember writing on the Velcro on the brace, "Don't take it off." And then, within like two weeks of having it, I threw it down the basement stairs. Wow. Okay. And fifteen years later, I went and found it to donate it. Um, but it was all the time, including when I was sleeping. The only time I did need to wear it was when I was swimming, and I was a swimmer. Um, but. There's no feeling quite like that of being suffocated, um, by a brace and being suffocated in a hot, wet place where you're being rubbed against by plastic and foaming and metal and, and plexiglass. And there was no modification Mm -hmm. that they could make to that brace that made it, I think, reasonable to put a 13 year old in religiously and it wasn't enforced you know, in my household, no one was telling me that I had to wear it. I mean, it was encouraged. Okay. But it's not like what you've told me with your daughter, where she wears it religiously because she should. I really wish that I had.
0: So when you were diagnosed and when you were given the brace, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, with your parents, you were all just literally like thrown into this and your, did your parents understand what the dynamics of everything were, or was it just like a smack in the face for everybody?
1: It was a smack in the face. Um, it it just happened very quickly. Mm -hmm. The interesting element to my story is that my uncle is an orthopedic surgeon. Okay. And he had a spine surgeon in his practice who he referred us to. And I think that my mother really trusted that recommendation. Um, and unfortunately, that surgeon doesn't do scoliosis surgeries, okay. um, not his specialty. And frankly, he really had no business operating on a spine mine complex. My com- that was as complex as mine. I mean, even at a young age when I was first diagnosed, my curves were very severe very severe and the three-dimensional curvature you, was very aggressive.
0: Do you remember what they were?
1: I was in the upper spine was in the fifties and the lower spine was in the high forties. Okay. Now they later progress into the sixties. Okay. Um, because I had my first surgery and later had my rods taken out before the fusion was actually solid.
0: Okay, so and when did you-
1: progressed.
0: When, so, from the time you were diagnosed from, and then wearing the brace, you've talked about multiple surgeries. And I I wanna hit on a point because I think that this is so profound of what you said, the suffocating of the brace. It's like, there's the suffocation of the brace and there's the suffocation almost of the mind that comes into play with this. And you're dealing with a lot emotionally and physically. I have a couple of questions. Um, First question is, were you in pain from the time you were diagnosed. And the second question is how long was it from when you were diagnosed and wearing the brace till you had your first surgery?
1: Um, I was in miserable pain. I was miserable in the brace. I was miserable out of the brace. Okay. I hurt my whole body hurt. It wasn't just my spine and my rib cage that hurt and ached. It was my hip, jo- it was, my joints hurt my hips hurt. Um, I just remember just this chronic ache, like a burning in my whole body. And I, I couldn't stand up straight. I couldn't, I would try to adjust my posture and I couldn't. And I remember just already, even without the surgery, feeling very restricted in my movement, not being able to pull my shoulder blade back. Um, I could only bend if I bent a certain way. I mean, my body was already adapting to this curve in ways that put extra stress on the rest of my body. And and, in the brace, it was even worse because, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. It's a physical feeling of suffocation. And mentally, it's when I started going into that dark hole of dissociation where I'm almost separating from myself isolation, where I don't know anybody else who has a brace like this. I had never even heard of scoliosis. Nobody had any idea what I was going through. I had nobody to talk to who could relate. Um, And it was scary. And I blindly put my faith in a doctor mirroring my mother's faith that ended up really betraying me and really getting me into a very bad and dangerous place. And that's affected me for my whole life.
0: Would you share a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. Um, so the surgeon that we went to for my first surgery, which was just about a year after, my curves okay. progressed very rapidly despite the brace, um, was a, just a spine surgeon, an orthopedic. I, I don't even think, he may have specialized in spine, but we all know, or we're learning in the scoliosis community that you need a scoliosis expert. Okay. So he did my first surgery and I I almost actually felt worse after surgery than I did before. I knew something was wrong immediately. And for an entire year, I, again, was in that black hole of isolation and despair because this pain was just worse than it was even before. And I couldn't move anymore. I couldn't bend. I couldn't twist. I was completely fused. Okay. Okay. And there was a lot of grief in that. Um, Losing activities that I loved, giving up sports that I loved, feeling this this space between me and my friends where there was something happening to me that wasn't happening to them.
0: Feeling Um, different.
1: Yeah, I was different. And even though I've been so blessed with my friends throughout my life, I I was never bullied. I was never made fun of. No one ever pointed out my back to me. and I feel very grateful for that. Um, my friends and I really were kind of traveling along life at the same speed. And all of a sudden I got thrown into this situation where I'm going into a surgery where they're telling me I can die. Where I'm being told that my, my, my lungs aren't gonna have enough room and my heart could stop and I could be paralyzed. And Those nobody that my friends are having.
0: And nobody talked to you about therapy prior to the surgery. No. Okay.
1: So you- and physical therapy wasn't part of the equation. Okay. There was no Schroff method. There was no Pilates at that point. I even had a, a surgeon who worked with me later down the road tell me that yoga was hocus pocus.
0: What state was this in?
1: That was in Georgia. Okay. Um, so there's a lot, people are open to a lot more now but they were not part of the journey at the beginning. They weren't even mentioned or discussed as possibilities. They were never brought to me.
0: Okay, so you had the first surgery and that went down. That went downhill. Yeah. And then what happened next?
1: So I was in all of that pain for that year that was worse. Okay. So the same surgeon decided that he was going to take out the hardware because he could visibly see that some of the screws had actually popped out. You could see them at, at my skin. Um, and he thought the hardware was what was causing the discomfort. So almost exactly a year after he put them in, he took them out. okay. And then for that entire year, here we go with the pain again. And at this point I'm noticing that my body is actually looking different. I'm more bent over, I feel more twisted. Um, I'm seeing you know that my hips are even more and even than they were before and We went in to see him and another spine surgeon that worked in the practice, they took an x-ray. And I remember sitting on the exam table and tell me that this was an emotional issue, that this would be best managed by a therapist or psychiatrist, and that's not true. Something is happening with my spine. Why is he not listening? Um, he never even looked at the x-ray, which was on the screen in front of him that he took and also feeling hopeless. Like, where do I go now? Like, what do I do now? You know, what am I, what am I supposed to do? The current situation isn't acceptable. Like I can't live like this. And so I was very fortunate at the time. Um, I went to a girl's boarding school and the girl that lived across the hall for me was from Atlanta and she had had spine surgery Um, a very short fusion compared to mine, but I got the name of her surgeon. Mm -hmm. And I remember after that appointment, sitting in my car alone, about to drive back to school. And I was just in tears in the car. And I remember calling my mom from my cell phone and saying, you know, I don't care what you do, but I'm getting a second opinion. I want to go to Atlanta and see Dr. Morrissey. I can't believe that that just happened. And she was reluctant, but she ended up going along with me. I don't think that she was at all prepared for what happened there and what we were to find out. And what happened? Well, um, we got there, we brought all my films and gave them to Dr. Morsey, a very well-known surgeon in Atlanta who had trained in Boston, was really phenomenal, kind of a strange personality. He's the one that made the yoga comment Um, When I was asking about other things to do for pain, I mean, I was in all this pain. And at that point, you know, pediatric pain management was just not even on the radar, you know, pain management for kids and people my age was not around. It's no one ever said, okay, while we're trying to figure this out, there are things you can do to help manage your pain. I was on my own.
0: Okay. How old were you?
1: Um, at this point, you know, I'd had the first surgery and the second surgery, I was going on 16. Okay. Um, so we went into the surgeon's office and he took the x-rays. My mom and I were there for the day. And he said, he looked at this, the x-ray and used his hand and moved his hand all over the x-ray and said, I don't know what's gone on here, but this needs to all be redone.
0: That's a lot. He was talking about revisiting the surgery, having rods fused to your spine.
1: Having everything redone. Okay. And also needing um, a a thoracoplasty. He said, basically, you're going to need at least a year to go through all of this. So I recommend that you either go to college late or take a year off at some point, but you're going to need a year for this and you could miss a year of high school, but I don't recommend that. I recommend that you just take a year off before college. Well, I was so ready and excited to go to college um, (laughs) that I was thinking, you know, there's just no way I'm waiting to go to college. Um, I would rather miss high school and boarding school (laughs) than college. Mm -hmm. The surgery was so long and so invasive and so intense that, he didn't even have time to do the thoracoplasty. Okay. He had to end the surgery before he could even really finish because it was so involved. Um, and I had never seen my mom get emotional about anything that I had been going through. Mm-hmm. I had never seen her be tearful or cry or seem upset or seem any of the bit traumatized that I was that she just broke down into tears. Um, I think about that moment a lot because she's seen me go through so many of these surgeries. Mm-hmm.
0: There's, a, there's a saying, and it, I always use it pertaining to us with scoliosis. You don't know what you can't see right, the pain that your body is enduring, the curves, people sometimes can't see that. And it could have been the same way for your mom because she was trying to stay strong for you, but internally there was, she was breaking just as you were. And I say that as a mom of a child who has scoliosis and knowing what the potential is with my own daughter,
1: so we stayed in Atlanta for a while to recover. And I did really, really well after that surgery. I felt great. Um, I still needed to have the thoracoplasty done though. Okay. Um, that was really a problem. And, but I waited. Um, I went to college, I went to Duke and I loved every single second of that experience. It was, I uh, literally know bad days in years. It was wonderful.
0: And your pain after this surgery was,
2: where it was, was it?
1: It okay. was gone. I was running. I was on the treadmill. I was at the gym. I was working out. I was active. It, I felt like I had my life back. And I thought it was behind me. But I knew that I needed to do this thoracoplasty. Okay. Because that was going to be getting worse. So... I tried to go back to Dr. Morrissey in Atlanta and he had retired. And you know, he was such a, he was a doctor who was so rough around the edges and very old school, you know, very old fashioned. But you know, after I heard that he retired, I actually ended up sending a thank you note to his old office, hoping that they would send it to him because I wanted him to know what he had given given back to me. I wanted him to know how much it meant to me to have that college experience.
0: What did he give back to you?
1: Once the surgery was over and I'd gotten through college, he gave me back, first of all, first and foremost, a pain-free life. And truly college, my college years were the only years I've ever had pain-free. Because once I had the thoracoplasty which was not the cause of pain. I had later issues with aging and wear and tear from a lot of the exercise. Um, Those years, it was like my scholarly, I could put it, maybe I buried it, a lot of it. Okay. But I could put it behind me for a while. I could focus on being a college student and having fun and learning. Um, But I took a lot of things from that experience with that doctor that's where I kind of got the idea to go to law school. Um, that's where I got the idea to study my health administration and for a master's. Okay. I designed my own major in college, medical ethics and, and health policy. I, you know, I really wanted to understand more about what happened. The How behind, could that the behind the that? scenes? So, yeah. yeah. I wanted to understand that the system is so flawed and, and understanding that how blessed I was to have access to my care and to have a family that could travel for my care yeah. and take care of me and afford it. Because if I did not have that, I would not be alive. You'd my be
0: in a, bra- in a very different bracket.
1: I would be, I, it would, my scoliosis would have killed me. I literally would not be here. I would not have survived the scoliosis. And the reason I I survived it was because I got, I eventually got the care that I needed and had the family support. Later down the road, I ended up having to work, the doctor that ended up doing my thoracoplasty, Mm -hmm. a nominal spine surgeon at hospital for special surgery, who actually was an African man from Africa first generation, who was saved by a Peace Corps doctor when he was an infant. He had a waterborne illness that was killing him. And a a Peace Corps doctor saved his life. And so he went into medicine. And when I met him for that next stage after college for the thoracoplasty, I found out that he was working on building a hospital in Ghana for children that were orphans with severe scoliosis that was caused by tuberculosis because kids there are not vaccinated.
0: Tell us the time from the last surgery to having the surgery with him. What was the gap? How long did that,
1: Um, between those two? Trying to remember. I don't really know. Um, That actually, I don't think was a very bad surgery. I think that's probably why I don't remember much about it. Okay, okay. Um, I remember that he used the bone from my ribs. He ground up the bone and reinforced my fusion. Bone graft. Yeah, he did an extra bone graft to my spine.
0: So this was an easier, obviously an easier sur- surgery than the ones you'd had in the past.
1: Yeah, because they weren't they weren't doing things with hardware. They weren't actually physically manipulating my spine mm-hmm. into a different shape, which doesn't just affect your spine; it affects your entire body, how everything is aligned. The thoracoplasty wasn't bad. And I was really happy with it because my back looked a lot better Okay. uh, because I didn't have that rib hump deformity anymore. Um, And I had met this doctor who was inspiring me. He was very humble, very gracious. He was the first doctor that held my hand and sat down next to me not to tell me that I had a psychiatric problem but to tell me how sorry he was
0: just to have compassion what I had
1: been through
2: yeah
1: and that just having him hold my hand like that I mean I could go right back to his office today and tell you what room I was in and what I was wearing and where he was sitting where I was sitting where what everything went in the room was like because I remember that moment and I can feel that moment all over again still now
0: it makes him feel human and it makes you feel in air quotes normal and that goes a long way
1: i felt like he was the first doctor to really appreciate yeah what i had actually endured physically everyone else was talking to me in very medical terms very clinical terms we need to do this we need to do that and no one was acknowledging the emotional impact that this had taken and what it, the imprint that it had really left on, on my soul, takes a toll on the family and it takes a toll on
0: us. You got really lucky with this orthopedic.
1: I got so lucky, not only because he did a beautiful job with my surgery. And for the first time actually made me feel better about how I looked. I'll talk about it later, but my last surgery was only a little over a year ago. Okay. Um, but you're constantly fighting with your own body and it took me a very long time to get to a place of acceptance of self-acceptance and mm-hmm. compassion for myself and empathy for myself realizing that I am enough just the way that my I am just the way that my body is just the way that I look now you know no one can see these scars on our back and I'm I happen to be very proud of mine um but no one can see them and someone could look at me or you and have a whole idea about who we are, and if we turned around and showed them our back, all of that would completely change.
0: But, but, so tell us now. So this, so you had this surgery. What was the next one? Because you said I believe you had well, six. I've had uh, eight. Okay, so um, what's on number
1: four. <laughs> you are on. Let's see one, one, two, three, four. Okay, sorry, I've actually only had seven. Going <laughs> on, I had nine hip surgeries while all of this back stuff was going on. Okay.
0: Was this related to scoliosis or was this a totally separate issue? It
1: is on that same gene where you get the, the, the error encoding for osteogenesis. It's the same gene, just a different allele for scoliosis. Okay. So they are related, very much related.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, It may help it make a lot more sense. So the hip surgeries I was having because First of all, I was having sports injuries um, in and lab- I had labral tears from running. Um, that's something else I've had to grieve is not being able to run anymore because that was my favorite thing in life for many, many years. My growth plates and my hips never fused. So basically, they were at- it was like I had a fractured hip because the both plate, actually in one hip, the growth plate had actually broken off and was just hanging there. And on the other growth plate, there was a massive gap where it should have fused together during puberty. Okay. And it was very painful. Um, so they had to screw those. They had to fuse those hip, those plates together. And then they had to do another version of screwing to tighten them even more. Then they had to take out all the hardware. And then they had to shave down the bone. And then you graduated college. I did. I graduated a semester early um, and and started my master's program at Georgetown.
0: And is that where you got into uh health administration and studying health law?
1: I started studying health law in law school.
0: Okay. Tell us okay, so did we I I just want to make sure that we've covered <laughs> I'm I'm keep I'm trying to keep up with your story, but we've yep. covered all your surgeries related to scoliosis?
1: No, there were several more. Okay. And I'll this up rather quickly. So basically what was going on is um, the first, I ended up meeting an anterior posterior fusion again to extend my fusion down to my pelvis. And then an eye fuse procedure is what it's called where they anchor your spine to your pelvis by putting in three huge screws through each hip. And what was the, what, why was it decided that that was necessary? Because I was having awful pain again. Okay. And my spine was starting my discs were degenerating, and I was starting to tip over okay um and then I had you know a couple of years where the pain it, there were it was just very it still may remain very painful at this point um and I ended up getting a uh infusion system put in my abdomen um that administers. You know narcotic pain medication through my epidural space twenty four hours a day.
0: How old were you when all this was going on?
1: Um, I don't remember the eight you know this was in my you know twenties okay and thirties. I mean these surgeries were long ones, and you know each of these surgeries requires pretty much two years to recover okay and then it felt like the minute that I got my energy back, I needed something else, so it just felt like. The minute I started, like felt like I didn't have very much time in between and I feel like I couldn't catch a break. And, um, then over the past five years, my spine really started to fall forward. Um, I couldn't stand up straight. I was very, very bent. Um, it was really hard to walk even just down the street just to, you know, catch a breath of fresh air. Uh, It was just, it got to the point where it was just totally unbearable. I couldn't, I had it done last uh, March. Um, Luckily my, (laughs) my hospital Lenox Hills in New York city and I was their last elective surgery before they closed down for COVID. And I had never even heard of COVID. So I literally woke up from surgery in another universe. Um, And with, you know, all of a sudden there weren't any visitors. Everyone was in PPE. Um, you know, they had a reverse oxygen chamber room, the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, then I had to leave the hospital early. I got discharged very early because Lenox Hill was being converted to a hospital strictly for COVID patients. Yeah. Um, and I got home and two weeks later, I had a horrific fall down the stairs. And I broke my back at three levels, cutting right to the spinal cord. And I suffered a spinal cord injury. Okay. um, Which is currently what I'm dealing with now. Okay.
2: COVID and then that's, yeah. New York City was not the place to uh, wake up from surgery during COVID.
1: (laughs) No, it wasn't. And it was not the place where you wanted to have to go back for trauma surgery in April, but it completely changed how I was cared for in the hospital. I was put into isolation yeah, um, and cared for by a different set of people who were not familiar with how you take care of a patient after this magnitude of surgery. And they sat me down before I went into surgery and told me that they had a wheelchair waiting for me because there was a very good chance I could end up quadriplegic after this surgery because of the extent of the nerve damage and the place where i had broken my spine and I remember just having to sit there and I had to have surgery and just saying okay what else do you say
2: yeah that's like being confined in the brace all over again
1: all over again and by the way during that month where I had to wait between March and April to have my surgery when the hospital opened for trauma again, I was put in that brace again. They stabilized me in that brace again, but it was even worse because it had a metal bar that went from my chest up to my chin. Okay. And I couldn't even take it off to take a shower. And I was suffering. My nerves had been compromised, so I couldn't lift my right leg. Um. I could I was dragging my foot. Um, it was just terrifying. And
2: this was the last surgery, and then you went home, and then you
0: fell down the stairs, yeah. and then you had to go back. Yep. And you went back, and then you were in the hospital, and then what happened?
1: Um, I wasn't paralyzed, thank God, but I suffered a very severe. It, they call it an incomplete spinal cord injury, where I have partial paralysis in my right leg, okay, and nerve pain that is unlike anything I've experienced in my life. It's worse than the bone pain that I've ever had, going down both of my legs. Okay, it's even worse in my right. And the next step for me is to have a, what they call a neuro, neuromodulator, like a neurostimulator implanted on top of my spinal cord to basically confuse those nerves. So I won't feel any of that debilitating nerve pain anymore. Um, but that, that would normally be a fairly routine procedure for someone with out my history, but it's very complicated because of my spinal deformity, which my cervical spine isn't fused. My neck's not fused. Mm-hmm. And I still have a couple levels above T2 that aren't fused. Mm -hmm. I've found out since that that scoliosis has actually gotten worse. Okay. They've got to work around that curvature. They've got to access a part of my spine that's underneath the fusion. Um, There's just more to it. And so I think I've found the doctor that's going to be able to do that. Unfortunately, he's in Colorado, so we're hoping he'll know someone local that can take over. but. When you get into this realm of specialty and subspecialty and subsubspecialty, you're fortunate if you can even find someone that can do it at all yeah. and this particular doctor in Colorado actually invented that neurostimulator machine okay so right now, as I've been grappling with this nerve pain, which drives me to insanity. I mean, the only thing that that helps is just if I like walk constantly. intermittently sitting for just a few minutes and then getting up and walking constantly, moving constantly, Mm -hmm. almost kind of like numb the nerves. Okay. Um, or else laying flat on my back. It's been, it's been, it has been, it has tested me and my patience and my limits, my limit for pain, all of it in a way that I've never been tested before.
2: Okay
0: but you're persevering and you're still moving forward and you're still going. And I want to jump on something that we talked a little bit about before. Uh, you talked about your degrees and what you studied with the health law. That is a an administration. I think that that is such a vital part and getting the information that you gained along the way and having the opportunities that you've had um can you share with the audience a little bit about what you have learned that they can benefit from if they are looking for if they're in a situation and they are they're grasping at straws you know what is something that they can take from what you've learned like this is some you we all have to be our own advocates we have to do our own research but what is what is something that you can offer them telling them here on this uh, podcast that they can take to the next level when it's their turn or if it's their turn of physical therapy or surgery or searching for an orthopedic. What is something that you could say, hey, go look at this, go go check this out. Can you share something? Yeah. Well,
1: I'll start with what has helped me um, in the past stay strong and, and be more comfortable and help me maintain some of the mobility and flexibility that I do have, which is vital because your spine can't do that much. And so you're straining all of your other joints, your feet, your knees, your hips, even your shoulders. So Pilates for me was and has been my space where I've been able to be comfortable and get relief from pain and stretch parts of my body that I can't stretch on my own, Mm -hmm. that ache and hurt and throb and burn. That's where I really get a lot of relief. Even if it's only temporary, I get relief. And so I know for that hour, at least, I'm going to feel good. Now, the issue is always paying for it. Who's going to pay for that? Right. Insurance will pay a lot of money for you to go see a physical therapist. But I can tell you that nothing I've ever done in physical therapy has come close to what Pilates has done for me. Personally, for me,
0: and did you when you did Pilates? Did you use the reformer? Did you use the tower? Did you just do mat
1: or bar? I did you do did, all of it? Did reformer, and Cadillac, and the Wunda chair. I never did mat because I needed the support and the resistance of the equipment. Okay. Pilates is a space where I can really open up those joints, um, and then massage therapy. There's nothing like it in terms of helping pain, breaking up scar tissue. I mean, the scar tissue can, can be agonizing. And so the sooner you can get in there to get some massage done, I know that physical therapists will do a limited amount of, of I don't know if they actually call it massage, but they call it manual therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's a way that you can bill your insurance. Now, in terms of health law, listen, it is baffling, ba- baggling. Whatever you want to say mm-hmm. to understand health law, it is just nearly impossible. Thankfully, now we have the Affordable Care Act, AffordableCareAct.com, trying to prepare as much as you can for these procedures, knowing that insurance is not going to cover it all, that you're going to have out of pocket expenses and setting aside money for that. Um, For just paying the regular medical bills, I mean, even with insurance, you've got deductibles you've got co having an advocate, having somebody else come to appointments with you to hear what doctors are telling you and keeping the doctor in the room until you understand what he's saying. You know, and doctors can be very intimidating.
0: Yeah, and, and if and you I, don't understand it, then say, I don't understand.
1: Yeah, or I need some more of your time if that's okay. And finding out what's the best way for me to contact you if I have a question. Because you're going to have a lot of them, and going through the phone tree every time is extra stress and anxiety that I can promise you. You don't have to spare. Um, Getting email addresses, getting cell phone numbers, but still, you know, respecting the boundary is is so necessary. Oh gosh, you know, if you read everything you get in the mail, you know, I got so overwhelmed with my situation that I just started shoving my mail into like bags and folders. Okay, you know. I didn't know how I was going to pay for any of it and I could I I was trying so hard just to hang on day to day just with the pain and the recovery that the last thing I could do was open 4,000, you know, letters from Blue Cross Blue Shield and whatever other healthcare provider was involved and there were seemingly millions of them. I just I I couldn't deal with it. You know, and so I'm kept trying to catch up with it now. And um, it's not fun, but finding somebody who can help you with all of that, um, and letting them help you. You know, I think I've really felt like a burden for a long time on a lot of people.
0: Yeah. That's, and, that's, that's yeah. huge. Giving the acceptance to yourself to say, Hey, I need help.
1: And I recently in the last several months reached out to, you know, my aunt and uncle, you know, primarily my mom had been helping me through all of this. And I think that The COVID situation with the back-to-back surgeries was just too much for her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I get that. It was too much for me too. But I don't get to walk away. And we don't have that option. And so I reached out to my aunt and uncle. And they have been nothing short of phenomenal. So supportive. They've jumped right in there with me. Coming to doctor's appointments. Helping me pay the bills. Getting the bills paid. Organizing them. Understanding them. Learning a lot of stuff about life that, frankly, I just didn't learn because I was too busy in the operating room and on bed rest and trying to survive. Yeah. So, the, you know, it delays you emotionally in a lot of ways and practically in a lot of ways, but it accelerates you in others. You become very wise, yeah. but you become also naive in a certain way. So, so the,
0: the biggest part is just ask for help. Yeah. Find what works.
2: And ask for help.
1: Yeah, I mean, in my case,
2: and accept the help, and be be gentle and
1: loving to yourself, like you would be to your own friend. Um,
2: Yeah,
1: you know, we're we're trying to take care of ourselves, and we're trying to manage the feelings and emotions of our caretakers, and it can just feel like spinning wheels, Um, and so. There's an there's a element of just compassion and just gentleness that, uh, I mean, it's very hard for me. It's but very, very hard.
0: But you've come so far. It doesn't, it, it doesn't stop. It just grows. And the acceptance that you are giving yourself by looking to other opportunities and other family members for support goes a long way goes a long way and And you
1: go ahead sorry i
2: I was
0: just going to say and you sharing it here sharing your story here with with people who are listening what works for you giving people that information that they didn't have before about pilates about being your own advocate about the health system that's information that people didn't have and that that is your wealth and your knowledge of finding out through your own story, and
2: you're able to pass that on
1: thank you i that's that's my that's what I would love to have happen is to turn all of this into something that other people can learn from and you know find some comfort in, maybe not feel so isolated. I know that if all of these online groups and things were around when I was going through everything, I probably would have felt a lot different. yeah. Um, if there's somebody listening
0: now and they can really resonate with you in all your journey I'm calling your surgeries journeys because that's what they are. Yeah. Journeys of opportunity, of growth, of recognition, of acceptance. If there's that one person listening, what would you say to them
1: who who's feeling isolated?
0: who's feeling anything, they're feeling isolated, they feel lost, they just feel like,
2: yeah, they feel lost.
1: I would say for me, learning how to better communicate my experience, giving people a chance to understand, because I think overall people do, they're never gonna understand it the way that we do, but giving other people the opportunity to help us and, you know, other people feel good when they help you. People want to help. This isn't something that we have to do alone. And leaning on your friends, not, not just relying solely on one person because it's, it's too much for just that one person like my mom. You know, I, I only leaned on her and that was not good for me or for her mm-hmm. or our relationship. So, reach, expanding your network of friends, finding finding support, and then accepting the support as a as a as a uh, as a way of connection and love, really giving people the chance. I mean, I I I opened up my heart to my aunt and my uncle, and I've been truly like at moments brought to tears over the compassion and the. The acceptance and just the help that they've been there been there to help for me and for my mom too we we both needed somebody else to help us and and they really did and so as a result your relationships become a lot deeper um a lot more transparent and if you could just find a way to let people in
0: and if somebody has questions and they would like to contact you about your story and about asking you for help, what is the best place for them to reach you on social media?
1: So I just started a scoliosis or a um yeah a scoliosis group on Facebook called Scoliosis Champs, C H A M P S. I'm also at Scoliosis Champs on Instagram, and my website, which I just started, is ScoliosisChamps.com. And you can also reach me personally on Instagram at champ 9584. So champ 9584 and scoliosis champs, any of those avenues or they can reach out to you and I'm happy to share, you know, my email address or phone number. Okay. uh, It's helpful. All right. Whitney,
0: I'd like to thank you for being a guest on the show. This was amazing. It was informative It was more than I personally expected, Um, but there's so much that you have to share. And there's so many people that I hope that it reaches and that come and say, hey, Whitney, I need some help. So thanks for
2: being a guest on the show. Thank you so much, Teresa.
0: If you like this episode, chances are there's someone else out there who needs to hear it too. So it would be a huge favor to me if you'd go ahead and give us a five-star review. It helps me get the message out to more people. And if you need help moving in pain, then download my five free tips, and I'll catch you on the next
1: episode.